Good morning, friends. Today is Friday, August 26th, and you're listening to Thy Strong Word, the program where each weekday morning we explore the holy scriptures through which God bespeaks us righteous and nourishes our faith. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo of St. John Lutheran Church in Laverne, Minnesota. Thank you for tuning in. Let me ask you, how do you listen to the show? Over the air on AM 850? Online at kfuo.org or using the KFUO app? Or do you download us as a podcast? Listen, no matter how you connect, I'm glad you're here. Settle in, get ready to open your Bible. We're about to begin. Thy Strong Word is underwritten by the good folks over at the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. Do me a favor. When you get a moment, head over to lhfmissions.org to learn more about what they're doing for the kingdom. And if you have any questions or comments about today's show, maybe you just want to say hi, or uh, you want me to pass a message along to our guest, email me at pastorboo at gmail.com. That's P-A-S-T-O-R-B-O-O-E at gmail.com. Brothers and sisters in Christ, last time we gathered, we heard St. Paul in chapter 9 speak of righteousness that is attained by faith, not by striving to keep the law. In the context of what he's been teaching so far in Romans, one might think that Paul's being a little too critical of the Jews in favor of the Gentiles. But at the start of chapter 10, he makes it clear once again that it's not that he's against the Jews. They are his kinsmen, only that he desires that they, like all of us, come to the knowledge of the truth, that salvation is through faith in Jesus alone. Today, we're going to cover all 21 verses in chapter 10. We're going to explore what the apostle reveals about righteousness and what it means when he says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. To help us dig into this important chapter, I'm pleased to welcome regular guest of the show, the Reverend David Boisclare, pastor of Faith and Bethesda Lutheran Churches, in Pine Lawn, Missouri. Pastor Boisclair, welcome back to Thy Strong Word. Well, it's a, a wonderful time to be with you and, and uh, to also to greet you as our new host. <laughs> well, I definitely appreciate that. Now, I know that you are a frequent guest of Thy Strong Word. In fact, I already see where you'll be joining us for our next topics. But since we're just now meeting over the air... Um, would you do me the favor of giving give me a little insight into what ministry is like for you in Pine Lawn, Missouri? How God's working through you and through the saints there? Well, it's uh, it it is a um, a uh, cross cultural uh, congregation. There's two congregations. Uh, they're they're both um, rather rather modest in size. Uh, we both meet in the same building uh, for uh, two separate worship times. Uh, we we are rejoicing in the gospel and uh, and receiving the Lord's supper every week. And I, I would commend that to to any congregation in our synod. Uh, we we basically share the love of Christ to to uh, our neighbors and friends, and uh, it's challenging. It's a very challenging ministry. It's kind of like a uh, you know, maybe a, a uh, 
what would what would you say a challenged community but uh nevertheless it's always always good to have uh the the light of christ uh as as our guide and and also as as what we would share with others there's certainly nothing wrong with having a challenging ministry. It is that it's apathy and the the idea that there's nothing to do or there's nothing we can do that sort of signals that things are going in the wrong direction. So so long as there are challenges, there is movement of the Holy Spirit. And it sounds like you're in a pretty unique context there. But uh, God bless you for serving Thank those you. people. Yeah. So, hey, you know what? We have a lot to cover today. Before we begin, though, would you mind starting us off with prayer. I'd be honored. Thank you. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you uh, for the means of grace, that we do not have to uh, soar into the heavens or or plunge into the, the abyss in order to find our Lord Jesus, but that he is here with us and that his word uh, brings us the forgiveness of our sins and eternal life. We thank and praise you for the, the precious gospel of his salvation, which brings us his perfect righteousness, which only stands us in good stead uh, before your throne of grace. We pray that you would send your Holy Spirit to us this day as we open our Bibles and as we look at these precious words from your Holy Apostle and grant that uh, you would guide us into all the truth in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Paul continues the inability to be contained with chapters and verses as he continues to lay out his argument here. But we're going to begin, and I'm just going to read the first four verses, and then I'm going to invite you to kind of catch us up where where he's been and perhaps where he's going. But you'll see, uh, listeners, when I read these first four verses, this is almost just a continuation of what he's been talking about, which he'll build on in the rest of the chapter. But I'll be reading from the English Standard Version of the Holy Bible. Here we go, the first four verses. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge, for being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. So, dear listener, and also pastor as my guest, you know, obviously it it seems very clear that Paul's argument from chapter 9 is wrapping itself up here, which is why the chapter divider is I don't know if it's misplaced. It's just hard to place in the way that he presents his arguments. But if you'd be so kind, you know, what's been going on and and how have we gotten to this part? Well, it, it uh, verse one uh, has kind of harks back to uh, the beginning of chapter nine, where he says, uh, "You know, I wish that I could be cut off from Christ, if that would bring uh, my brothers, the uh, the Jewish people, into into uh, you know fellowship with God, with the true knowledge of faith." Uh, and and uh, so so it kind of ties in there. I can't. Uh, you know, it is obviously not the Lord's will that I do that because I still trust in our, my Lord Jesus Christ, and I'm still a, uh, I'm still going to go to heaven, and so um, I, I pray for them, and uh, so so that's it, it. You can you can really feel 
the uh, fervency of the apostles' love for for his people in in, in constantly remembering them in prayer. And and I like uh, verse two, which which tells us about they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. And that's kind of isn't that kind of true uh, even among in Christendom or among Christians that that many of them are on fire for Christ and uh, they they are uh, really. Uh, you know, impassioned to to share the, the the gospel with others, but not according to knowledge. You know, so there it, we're we're to have the uh, spiritual knowledge that comes through the Word of God uh, to inform us, so that that uh, we conduct ourselves in in uh, the way in which God would have us as as His people. And, and and so that's that's kind of like how, it, but it really touches that 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 they are, they they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. And then and then of course you have that uh, verse four that can be kind of misunderstood uh, sometimes, where it says he is the end of the law to all. Uh, who uh, you know to everyone who believes, but he touches on also the the difference of the two righteousnesses. Obviously, uh, the, they're ignorant of the righteousness of God, which is that passive righteousness of Christ, which is given to us, as opposed to uh, our own righteousness. We believe in an alien righteousness, uh, that that is a uh, righteousness of another, that is Jesus Christ, and not a proper righteousness, which is ours. I find it fascinating that you brought out this idea of zeal. It sparked in my mind – zeal among Christians today is sparked in my mind a lot of what I see on social media. And the reason mm. I bring that up is because you see people who are eager to share these these new insights and tidbits that they've learned about the Old Testament or the New Testament or the Greek or Hebrew or something they've learned about God, the most recent of which seems to be this idea that the name of God, Yahweh, is supposed to represent our breathing in and out. And, and you know, some other professors have spoken up to say, you know, that's – it's nice and pious and it, it, I guess it makes for nice ideas, but that's inconsistent with the scripture. And you see that time and again, people are eager to share Christ according to things that make them feel a certain way or, or it's new to them, but not according to the knowledge that God has revealed. It's almost as if people get bored with the revelation from the creator of the universe and are constantly seeking after our own knowledge to share. And we see a parallel to that in the Jews who have been giving all of these, uh, you know, previews and first access to God's love. And and Paul talks about how, you know, they had all these advantages and they many of them abandoned them for seeking after righteousness according to the law. And then, yes, exactly. Christ being the end of the law. I hear that so often to justify, you know, that there is now no room for the law in the life of the Christian as if Christ's putting an end to the law, which is an incomplete, you know, quote of that verse, means that, you know, well, now we don't have to worry about the law. We just can relish in the forgiveness of Christ and then what be will be what be will be. But no, of course, we're freed now for that third use of the law as we commonly talk about it. But yet yeah, Christ being the end of the law for righteousness. 
But does that mean well, the I mean, end the of the word law end oh, go ahead. is misinterpreted? Uh, I think it's not the law comes to an end. Now, it's interesting, even among our own circles and among our, the, our own theologians, uh, and, and I'm speaking when I say our, I'm talking about uh, in, in the wider, in the ELCA or, or in the wider uh, umbrella of Lutheranism, uh, that say, well, well, the law is an enemy. And so, and, and yeah, it's an enemy to the sinner. It is not an enemy to the uh, regenerated believer. Uh, the, uh, you know, Luther, I think a lot of, in his uh, commentary on Galatians, he, he talks about the law as being our enemy. Well, uh, I mean, if the law intrudes in, in uh, the doctrine of the gospel, or, you know, intrudes in uh, the righteousness of faith, uh, you know, in other words, that because if it does, then it's saying that we have to establish our own righteousness, we are to make ourselves right before God, then it's out of place. Uh, but the law is, is, um, is not the enemy of the regenerate or of, of the righteous person. Now, the other thing is, is the word end in telos in Greek, which means that, that uh, actually Jesus has fulfilled the law. That, that verse might, might also be saying that about our Lord Jesus, that, that he has fulfilled the law for righteousness. So he has, full, he has obtained a perfect righteousness, which is given to us uh, through uh, the means of grace, through the gospel and the sacraments. Sure. The word telos there, really referencing a goal, like reaching a goal, as you said, fulfilling. Luther said that of this verse, he says the fulfillment and the consummation, the fullness is what is being referred to here. He says not our works, which is to say that the law without Christ is nothing, for it seeks and reaches out not for itself, but for him, its end, its telos, its goal. So, yes, I appreciate you bringing that out because that's what we need to understand, that when Christ came, he fulfills the law on our behalf, which we could never do. So the we could never earn salvation by keeping the law. It was always Christ. If this Christ is not a plan B, he's plan A. It's not as though God <laughs> looked down and said, well, they just can't keep these commandments, so I guess I'll just have to go down there and do it myself. No, <laughs> right, Genesis 3.15. This is the plan from the beginning. Yes, brother. Um, yeah. Anything else before we kind of dive into the rest? I just feel like, and maybe you agree or disagree, but that just almost belongs with chapter nine. If I had to go back and redivide oh, yeah. these up, I might have had you start with verse five. <laughs> well, if we could transport ourselves in time to twelve fifteen and talk to Stephen Langdon, uh, Archbishop of Canterbury, who uh, divided the Bible into chapters, we might have said, uh, you know, Reverend Archbishop, perhaps you might want to change your chapter division here. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, in in this particular case, there you know it 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 it's so clear about the the doctrine of justification by grace through faith uh, is so clearly presented here. Uh, you know, it's really uh, fleshed out, or it's really put out in all of its detail, ignorant of the righteousness of God. And, and so, obviously, the Jews who would establish their own righteousness, that they feel that they need to make themselves righteous before God, and that's kind of like, the, uh, like uh, what our Lord Jesus had to uh, contend 
contend with, you know, like uh, that uh, they would they they would be they're legalists, and and a legalist is a person that that believes that they can, uh, you know, maybe fulfill God's law by their own uh, uh, reason, uh, you know, the reasonable ways in doing that, and uh, you know, and, and for the Jew, of course, unfortunately, they if they they know the law and they have all of their traditions uh, about keeping it, so that uh, they can appear righteous before God, and if God should dare uh, exclude them from the kingdom, they'd, they'd use the law against God himself. Let's go on. We're going to start with verse 5, and we're going to read through, let's read through, let's read through 13. It's sort of right in the middle of a thought, but I think it's a good chunk to take, and there's a couple verses in here I definitely want to talk to you about because my own upbringing, I believe I had been taught uh, an incorrect way of understanding these things, and surely others mm. are out there that experience oh, yeah. the same. So here we go, <clears throat> starting with verse 5. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says... Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is, to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is, to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart, that is, the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And let's stop there with verse 13. Brother, help us dig in. Yes. Um, what maybe you could share with me uh, how, how uh, and, and I mean I perhaps uh, been been uh, disadvantaged by this too. How were you uh, in in your own formation as a Christian? Uh, you know, perhaps uh, maybe led the wrong way about uh, this passage. Sure. So that doesn't come till verse nine. That's when I was going to spring it on you. But what we what I grew up with down south, I did not grow up a Lutheran, as listeners are starting to learn. But uh, I really appreciate my upbringing because it really colors my ability to appreciate Christians across denominations due to our faith in Christ, while at the same time, very much appreciating the clarity that the Lutheran confessions brings to what the scriptures teach. With that said, uh, I grew up uh, Southern Baptist, uh, among other things, in the Arminian type tradition where what was required in order to be saved was for you to make a decision for Christ, to call Jesus down from heaven into your heart. And this was typically something that you did followed by a period of feeling guilty for your sins. So whether you were in a church service where you had received so much law that you rightfully felt miserable for your sinful condition and desperately wanted to be saved from it, and then the next step was told, all you have to do is give your heart to Jesus. And, well, where's that in the Bible? Well, you can yeah. find that in Romans 10, 4. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Done. 
And so, yeah. And, and my giving my heart to Jesus moment came after a period where I was a young man, 13, and kind of gotten in trouble, just little silly stuff, you know, running around with friends and uh, got busted. My parents kind of grounded me for, you know, being out and going, doing things I wasn't supposed to do. And so then my dad, who listens to the show, hi, dad, he said, you know, son, I, 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 I'm, you're grounded from everything, but I can't ground you from church. So we <laughs> went to the uh, local singing, which was happening on a Wednesday, typically down south, you know, Wednesday night services are singings. And it was at the first free will Bible Baptist church. And uh, after hearing this message of forgiveness, how God forgives you your sins and me feeling pretty miserable a week in to my my punishment, my grounding from dad, I went up and gave my heart to Jesus. And on the way home, dad says, you know, well, if the Lord forgives you, I guess I'll forgive you too. And he released me from my grounding. And mm. all I could think of is if I'd have known that, I'd have given my heart to Jesus a week earlier. <laughs> Now, and I don't say that because I am not earnest in desiring to believe in Christ or 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 nor am I trying to make fun of people who say they're making a decision for Christ. I think you might agree with me, Pastor, that Lutherans really the only caveat we would give to that is by the time you're able to give your heart to Jesus, you've already been saved because that faith is dwelling in you. You can't call upon Jesus unless you already believe. Oh, absolutely. And, and indeed, uh, you know, the thing is, is the Apostle Paul is, is here giving the Christians uh, encouragement by saying, you know, well, th- these are, this is the fruits of saving faith. In other words, uh, right. you know, confessing with your mouth that, that Jesus is Lord and, can, and believing in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You know, of course, the believing in your heart, that, that of course, has come first. Uh, and then if you confess, or, you know, if you, um, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus, yeah, exactly. See, those are fruits of that saving faith. I think what you just said is, is, is the point. Um, you know, you, you see this theology that's going on now when you turn on your television, there's, there's some, uh, you know, Christian people that are, are, are saying, you know, pray this prayer and give your heart to God and and you will be saved you know it's almost like work righteousness to to an to an extent but it it doesn't take into account the fact that these are fruits of saving faith that the holy spirit has already created in your heart and so those are like, uh, you know, if, 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 you know, evidences in yourself. You know, in other words, if I'm confessing that Jesus is Lord, you know, the apostle says in 1 Corinthians 12 uh, that no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So obviously, uh, when, when you're doing that kind of stuff, then you've already got the saving faith, all, you know, before. Yes, it removes the—it sucks the grace out of it when you take something that the Holy Spirit through St. Paul is intending for comfort for those who are struggling with trying to keep the law, and you turn it into law. Right. So, you know, if you're confessing with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you know, rest easy, Christian. You can't do that except that you've been called to faith by the Holy Spirit. And he does talk about that in our next section. But heading back to those first few verses, and I don't want to neglect them, it says, For right. Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, don't 
say in your heart who will ascend to heaven or who will descend into the abyss. And it talks about, you know, bringing Christ down or pulling Christ up from the dead. Pastor, that's a little confusing, I think, to a lot of folks. How can we understand what Paul is saying here? Well, I mean, uh, in verse 5, it, it, he really establishes uh, the place of the law. You know, if you're going to, uh, you know, as far as the law is concerned, it all has to be fulfilled. And and if you're going to trust in the law for your salvation, you better be perfect. You better uh, better have the pure thoughts, pure actions, pure words, and all of that. The the second part is that uh, Christ is here with us in His Word, in the Gospel. You know, it's interesting. We have a hymn in in the hymnal. I believe it's still there, but I remember they first started using it in what was called the Worship Supplement that came out in 1968 or 1969, and uh, it says, now the is going on in the worship service. And that's the point that, that uh, the Lord is present in his, the means of grace, in the hearing of the gospel, in, uh, in the sacrament of baptism, the sacrament of our Lord's body and blood, the Lord's Supper, uh, in holy absolution. So, so it doesn't, we don't have to go seeking for this. It is present uh, for us in the divine service. And, and so, uh, you know, it's kind of like um, maybe you've heard preachers that say, well, you have to transport yourselves back to Calvary, and there you receive uh, the forgiveness of sins. There Christ is revealed to you, uh, you know, as if we could get into a time machine and go back uh, 2,000 years and go back to Christ's crucifixion. Uh, Luther said, Luther put it this way, he said, uh, there the forgiveness was was earned. It was it was obtained at the cross. It was not given out. It's given out in the means of grace. It's given out when we hear the gospel of Christ's salvation. So he, all of this is present. We don't have to, uh, you know, you know, travel every sea, go down into heaven, or go up into heaven, or go down into the abyss, or or whatever. It's there. It's it's in. Uh, in the presence of, of the people of God gathered around the means of grace. Now, you must admit that Paul's inspired words here that says that is to bring Christ up from the dead could be a little confusing to folks who, you know, confess, believe, and teach that Christ is already raised from the dead. So I appreciate how you bring that out, that what's at, at, what is at stake here is recognizing the way in which God has chosen to deliver these means of grace to you. Exactly. And and uh, in in this in this particular case, it could could kind of be this. Uh, you know, when we have the Word of God and 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 the Holy Spirit creates faith in our hearts, then we need no further proof that those things happen, uh, for we we are regenerated. Uh, we become to faith and and we trust in in this uh, you know in in the narr- narrative of our Lord this the gospel of our Lord which t- which is what we confess in the creed most of the creed is is talking about Christ and what he did for us well I think that's a good place to take a pause dear listener don't go anywhere in just a few moments when we return from our break Pastor Boys Claire and I will continue our discussion of Romans chapter 10. We'll finish up these verses and continue for the rest. We will see you on the other side. 
These are the voices of young Lutherans in Mexico City, children who are excited to learn more about their Savior, Jesus. But they need our help, because good Lutheran books for kids in the Spanish language are in short supply in Mexico. To learn how you can help tell Spanish-speaking kids everywhere about Jesus in a language they can understand, go to the Lutheran Heritage Foundation website at lhfmissions.org forward slash Juan 316. Welcome back to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo. Sorry, I'm, I'm kind of laughing about the idea that creeds are an imperial conspiracy. I look forward to tuning in and finding out what that's all about. Anyway, with me today is the Reverend David Boisclare, pastor of Faith and Bethesda Lutheran Churches in Pine Lawn, Missouri. Pastor, before the break, we were in verses 9 and 10 discussing about how comforting it is to know that whenever we feel as though we haven't measured up to God's law, which should be all the time, but whenever that convicts us, we know that not only is there forgiveness from Christ, but the very fact that within our hearts we desire forgiveness and have faith and trust in our Jesus as our Lord, that that's evidence of the of the salvation, the righteousness that we've been given from Christ's work by the Holy Spirit. Yes, I remember uh, one time counseling uh, a gentleman. Uh, he was he's very fervent in his faith, and, and he was he was of course uh, estranged from his wife, and and that kind of uh, he the, his congregation placed him under discipline, and um, you know he said he said pastor, am, am I a Christian or or am I going to be saved? Am I you know well and 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 you know again I wasn't talking about what he had done uh, that was a sin and then what separated him from his congregation. But I said, well, do you, do you believe in the Lord? Do you believe in his righteousness? Um, and, and he said, yes, well, you know, I'm, 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 you're, you're a Christian. You know, obviously, uh, and then we worked through uh, the things that he had done wrong. But again, it, it's kind of like people are saying to the apostle, you know, how do I know? If if I uh, am a Christian, or how do I know if I'm going to heaven? You know that, that thing. You know, like, are you saved? <laughs> kind of a question that people might ask. And and it says, well, let's look at, at what you do. I mean, are you are you confessing the Lord? Are you are you um, uh, you know praying? Uh, you know, are you uh, uh, a, a Christian? Are you you know? I, there was a rather interesting uh, little saying uh, during the um, uh, the. Jesus people movement of the late 60s and early 70s. If you were accused of being a Christian, is there enough evidence to convict you? Right. I remember that. You know, drawing also from my experience down south, I grew up in the western North Carolina mountains, and as you're driving through the hills and you go this certain direction, uh, getting ready to go through the Nantahala Gorge, which is just just beautiful. They do whitewater rafting. It's it's a very long and curvy road and kind of scary at times. But there's a church right before it kind of gets bad, and there is a big billboard outside the church. And for just decades, they've had a sign that essentially says, you know, if you die tonight, where would you go? And it has a picture of heaven and hell. But then, of course, it has choose this day whom you will serve. As, as if 
you know, the, that God and Satan are somehow equal and God has voted for us and Satan has voted against us. And all you have to do is break the tie by choosing Christ. And again, that's more mm-hmm. things that I grew up with. But right, Paul is just really pouring out his heart for the Jews because they have been spending their time for generations striving to work their way into God's good graces. And so the message here is that salvation or righteousness comes from faith. But then how do we get that faith, right? If we don't pick, if we don't choose, if we don't study all the different world religions and say, yeah, Christianity makes the most sense, I'll pick that one, then where does that come from? And so I'm going to reread verses 11 um, and 12 and 13 that I read earlier and then keep reading so that we can bring some more context into our conversation. And then, of course, we're free to talk about all of it. Here we go. Verse 11, for the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach? Unless they are sent. As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. That's through verse 17. So we'll stop there. Uh, So, yeah, let's keep our discussion going. For Scripture says everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. That is a message of gospel. Exactly. And it and it's it's unconditional. And it's it's like, um, you know, it, it, you believe in him, you will not be put to shame. And for for the Christian who is troubled, uh, you know, that you have these uh, these solid scriptural gospel evangelical promises uh, to to give us. You know, it's rather interesting, uh, you know, in, in the in the debates between uh, Lutherans and Roman Catholics, uh, you know, we we confess uh, the doctrine of justification by grace through faith. And when we when it is by grace, it's all God doing it. If it's by faith, it means no works. You know, just that, that statement that we're justified by faith means that we do not make ourselves right before God. Well, it's interesting that uh, some Roman Catholic uh, theologians say, well, justification by faith is a, 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 is a fiction, or is a legal fiction. Now, it's interesting that they use that term because, yes, it is. Justification by faith, the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, is a legal fiction because it has nothing to do with the law, but it is an evangelical certainty and truth. So, so they're very right by saying, yes, it's a legal fiction, uh, but it is, it is the gospel which is, is uh, God's uh, firm truth. And, and, and is, is something that comforts the believer. And then, and then here in, in, in this particular passage, is he's, he's talking more, he's talking about uh, the means of grace, and he's talking about the office of the holy ministry as well. Legal fiction. What, what 
brings to my mind, my first degree is in um, criminal justice, uh, applied criminology, they call it now, I guess, because it makes it sound fancier. But we talked about, you know, in my courses, courtrooms, uh, procedures, that sort of thing, even though none of us were training to be lawyers, it was important that we understood these sorts of things. And so when I think of legal fiction, it just sort of brought to my mind this concept of it's legal fiction in the sense that in no human court of law would what God does be allowed, right? right. God, in the presence of overwhelming evidence of our guiltiness, forgives us anyway, takes on yeah. the punishment himself. And so even in that sense, it's a legal fiction, one that I'm so thankful that we don't receive what we deserve, but rather we receive out of God's gifts of grace. Yes. And, and uh, the, the thing is, is that comes, comes through the, uh, the, the law needs to be there. Uh, obviously, the law has to convict us. We won't. We do not see that we need a savior unless the law tells us that, uh, you know, either you're perfect or you're going to hell. You know, I mean, I mean, if to simplify it uh, that way, and and then it is God who brings His means of grace to us by uh, the preaching of the gospel, uh, and and in this, and then of course it, it speaks about how also those who uh, are that that the public office of the ministry, which is an, another blessing along with that, that is there to um, bring the certainty of uh, our salvation in Christ. And, and they are sent, they are, uh, they're called and ordained uh, by God through his uh, congregation and, uh, you know, and through individual congregations through the church. And, and, uh, but, but it is God who is at work in all of it. So I'm told that we actually have a caller on the line, and I think I might be in trouble. Uh, oh. The caller is by the name of Ken Boo. Ken Boo, you are live on Thy Strong Word. Oh, and happy to be here. I just want to let you know you are regrounded, by the way. You owe, you owe me two weeks of grounding uh, or whatever it was. I don't remember. <laughs> I don't remember. I don't remember the details either, brother. But am I telling that story accurately? That's the real question. Um. Yeah, actually, you're pretty, pretty darn accurate. And, you know, and uh, that's one of the things, the good things about our life together that I remember. Uh, I only remember the good things. I don't remember the multiple bad things you did. Uh, but I do remember <laughs> that uh, that particular conversation uh and it was just compelled to, you know, and and from that from that, I remember when I was in high school, uh, well, junior high, we were picking on a guy because he wouldn't get engaged in our dirty conversation and our jokes and blah blah blah. And he had said that to me, and I said, "You don't remember when you used to do that?" And he said, "No." He said, "God forgot it. I forgot it." So that kind of led up to that whole thinking process when I said I was I waited that many years to say that. So I'm well, glad you know, were the recipient of it. <laughs> so and let's be honest, you know, and hopefully my, the pastor guest can join in. You know, this idea that God forgets our sins completely yes. erases him from the memory of the one who knows all things. That's an amazing thing. 
And so the I part of that story. I remember their sins no more. Oh, that's what and that's he beautiful, says. right, Pastor? Yes, it is. Uh, it, and, you know, I mean, our, our sins are cast into the depths of the sea as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. And that, that's, that's the glorious, um, unconditional, full blast uh, promise of the gospel. You know, I'm grateful to my father who's still on the line uh, for my upbringing, and we experienced a variety of different confessions. And I do have to say that after I um, found the Lutheran Church and converted, uh, he was the only one that converted with me. So my dad is now an elder at his Lutheran Church. So, uh, Ken, you know, one thing I want to ask you while I have you on the spot, since you've called to put me on the spot, And that is, do you see a distinction between the way that the gospel is proclaimed in the Lutheran faith and how it was proclaimed in those churches who, while well-meaning and earnest, really put the burden on, on on the believer to earn their salvation, even if they called it by faith? Well, there's totally uh, a distinction in between the two. Now, you know, uh, of course, uh, in, in some of the churches you and I attended, uh, and whether we were searching for a place, but we just went to a lot of places. I was uh, raising you. I was afraid of raising a child, and I was hungry for the gospel, and I was hungry for help. You know, so that's why just I constantly found a place to go to church, you know, trying to feed off of the energy and trying to, you know, get God to help me. Uh and all of the legalistic, you know, and you know, I was raised in a very legalistic uh, cult type church. Um, and but all of that learning, all of that legalistic uh, was beneficial to us. And I think I heard you say that before, because I know the law, you know, and I know what we're not supposed to do. But when I came to the Lutheran church, it was just such a relief to know that even though I was guilty, I was set free from that. But even still, you know, that will creep back in sometimes. You know, sometimes the legalism will creep back into my thinking and my being. So I had to be careful just to, just to take time through the day and, and thank God for the freedom from sin and from the law, even though I, I still stand guilty. Uh, but it's nice to know that that has been forgiven. But yeah, it, so many different things, uh, teaching the Roman road to about salvation. Uh, I even had a minister tell me one time that when you're praying, we were talking about prayer, and he said, if you're not praying 15 minutes for each person, each petition, then you're not really praying. And I don't know how you would do that. <laughs> so that, that that's legalism. That's that's a that's an evidence of legalism, and and um, you know you don't you you cannot motivate people by the law. You know the law kills. Uh, the, the, it is only the gospel that that empowers us to follow Christ and to pray fifteen minutes or an hour for each person. My goodness, uh, let's let's not stop at fifteen minutes. Let's pray constantly right. for other people. I mean, but it's only the gospel that empowers us because it is the gospel that brings the Holy Spirit. Oh, and I'm you know, and I'm I'm so happy that my son chose the you know the well not even chose and I say I feel that God led him to the Lutheran Church and through that he uh, enhanced both of our Christian lives through that so I, I'm very pleased in that and very happy that uh, that's the direction he went. Well, I appreciate you calling uh, Ken 
Dad. I uh, look forward to talking to you later on the phone, but you know what? I'm going to let you go, but I do want to bring up one thing. You talked about being hungry for the gospel and hungry for the truth. If I recall correctly, we were also hungry for whatever they served after church, and so that's why we tried to find... That's why we, I think we ended up Baptist, because they typically served full meals rather than just snacks. Thank you very <laughs> exactly. much for calling. Uh, Thank you brother for Pastor, receiving me. Yes, <laughs> God be with you. That's a, that's a wonderful, uh, wonderful heritage that you shared with us. Thank you. Brother Pastor, you know, I, my dad is right in that I felt like God called me to the Lutheran faith as he calls all of us to be able to confess rightly and believe the clarity of the scriptures. I will also say that being called to be a pastor is also something that is a privilege that God calls men to. And that seems to be what Paul is talking about here in some of these other verses. You know, when he talks about, you know, how are we to believe unless we hear this from the gospel, as you have pointed out already, he speaks here of the office of public ministry, of holy ministry. How can people hear if people are not sent? So let's dig back into that. You know, how how is the office of holy ministry and everything that surrounds it here in this text, also uh, an act of God to bring the gospel to people. And why is it so important? Well, it's it's uh, what the, how the church is um, brought about in the world. I mean, how does God bring the church about in the world? There are there are preachers and there are listeners, and uh, in other words, those those who are proclaiming the word of the gospel and those who are hearing the word of the gospel. Um, and and there's a lot of problems at times uh, when you know, like in during the Reformation, uh, there were uh, they kind of. Uh, Luther spoke of them as uh, schwermer or those who sneak in, uh, like people saying, well, you need to listen to me because I have the word of God or the, the word uh, the Lord spoke to me and he, he told me that you need to listen to me. And, and it, it is proper for Christians to ask of such folk, you know, where is your call? Where where is your where are your credentials? You know what uh, by what right are are you sp- telling me this? You know obviously if a, if a person is your fellow Christian and they share uh, their their thoughts and and their ideas with you, that's one thing. But if there's somebody that kind of uh, you know appears on the scene and and says I'm I'm inspired by God the Holy Spirit, well uh, you know where are your credentials? And and because God uh, calls men into the public ministry through his church and and uh you know there there then there's a the whole list of things that they're supposed to be trained in apt to teach and and um you know so they can they can when we are called and when we uh, are pastors of churches and you know we know that God has put us there into that call to speak his word publicly and to minister publicly to his people Such a blessing. You know, we think about those churches who do not currently have a man occupying the office of holy ministry. And we think about, of course, all of those men who've been called to be pastors. And um, while we're called immediately, God calls us through churches. Perhaps they've been ordained, and yet right now they don't have a current call. But I heard one district president say, I think it was, Uh, Tim Yaden of Blessed Memory uh, in the New England District, and I'm sure others have used this example too, but he talks about how there is this sort of study or office physically located in the building and when encouraging 
parishioners who are looking for their next pastor, he reminds them that the office belongs to the church. It's there. God knows who he has picked out for it. But the office is always there in terms of it belongs to the church as a blessing to her. And, of course, we want to make sure that office is occupied. You're you're exactly right, uh, because uh, we we do not say that the called ministers of Christ are are means of grace themselves. Uh, in other words, uh, that the the the, the um, uh, means of grace, which is the uh, the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, for God so loved the world, uh, that is present uh, with the congregation, uh, and and uh, people are still becoming Christians in these congregations, even though there's no pastors there. And so, uh, you know, that, that has to be properly understood, uh, you know, not, not to the point where we, we uh, you know, there, there, there were two types of errors of, of uh, medieval, uh, the medieval church. Uh, there was called sacramentalism and sacerdotalism. And uh, sacramentalism is the, the idea that that uh, you you cannot be saved except you uh, receive the sacraments, you know, and you are not receiving valid sacraments, sacerdotalism. You're not receiving sa- your sacraments unless you have a uh, priest or, you know, in, that, in, that, in other words, a person who is a uh, incumbent of the office of the holy ministry. And those are errors. And, and, uh, you know, I think that uh, the district president of, of Blessed and Homely Memory was was exactly right. That office is there in that congregation, and 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 I think I like to think about the fact that you know, for congregations that are vacant, God has chosen someone for you, <laughs> or you know, yeah. I mean, you you can can say that uh, God knows who who would be your pastor, and and um, you know, you call him. <laughs> right. Absolutely. Now, I'm going to add the rest of the verses of this text just so that we have them under our belt as we finish up our discussion. I'm going to go back to verse 16 and read through verse 21, finishing it out. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed, they have, for their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. But I ask, did Israel not understand? First, Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. Then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. But of Israel, he says, All day long I have held out my hands to a disobedient and a contrary people. And this goes back – that's the end of the text. This goes back to verse 12 where he brings back in the overall arching context of what he's saying here. Which is really not about you know the difference between Arminian, Baptist, and Lutherans, but in his day, it's about Jews and Greeks and the proper distinction of the law. And so he says in verse twelve, there is no distinction between Jew and Greek because the same Lord is the Lord of all. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And then he quotes Isaiah here and and Moses. So, so Pastor, you know, in the context of Paul preaching to these folks in Rome, where we have Jews who have incorrectly followed after their own hearts and sought to justify themselves by the law and Gentiles 
who maybe think that they uh, have some sort of special status because of his criticism of the Jews. You know, there's all kinds of sin to go around, and he's trying to make people understand that it's all about Christ. But still, back to talking to the Gen- the Jews about how even in the in the days of the prophets, God was talking about calling the Gentiles, um, calling the foolish nations to make them angry and jealous. Yes. Uh, you know, and it's interesting, whenever he talks like that, and there's two other passages of Scripture where he says there is neither, well, in Romans, there's a couple times, there's no distinction. Like in Romans 3, and here in uh, Romans 10, he's also saying no distinction. This is uh, what we call uh, the... Um, uh, the or, God's order of redemption. You know, there's neither Jew nor Greek, there's slave, neither slave nor free, there's neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ. That is, that is the order of redemption, that all alike are uh, those to, uh, that, that, are op- that God has intended to share the gospel with. Uh, that uh, you know, in, in like in, in in a sense, there's probably a, a kind of a touching, uh, you know, in the Baptist tradition. Of course, there's both Arminian and there's Calvinist, obviously, and and uh, you know, with with uh, the Calvinist uh, belief is that if you're not chosen, uh, if God has not, or, or you know, in in one case, if God has sort of let you slip by or passed you by, that's uh, infralapsarianism. Uh, then uh, you um, you know, then, then obviously the gospel is not for you. It's it it might it you know it's preached to you, but God doesn't intend uh, you for it. Uh, in this particular case, it's saying God intends the gospel for all people, whoever they are, and there, there's no one that is not uh, those who should be. Uh, to hear the gospel, and 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 in in the end, there it, it, there's a in verse 21, it kind of points out uh, maybe a little bit of a uh, the scriptural doctrine against the belief in the perseverance of the saints, or once saved, always saved. Uh, you know, the the fact that people are lost or damned is not it has nothing to do with. Uh, uh, election or predestination. When you are lost, it is all by your own fault. Yeah, our salvation is 100% God's doing, and our sinfulness is 100% our responsibility. And that's a dynamic that people don't like to acknowledge. At the same time, because our salvation is 100% God's doing through Christ, then we don't have to worry brothers and sisters, about about how how well we're doing it or if we've done it right. You know, brother, we just have two minutes left in our program, and I'd like to give uh, the bulk of those two minutes to you, at least a minute of it. Share with our, our listeners a point of gospel that connects to our text, something that not only benefits them, but maybe something that they can share with their neighbors. God is so intent on on sharing the love of Christ, the, the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, that we're saved by grace through faith, they were justified by faith. He wants to get that word out. He wants uh, that, um, uh, you know, he, he has made, uh, done all of these, uh, you know, brought in the means of grace, the uh, the gospel, hear, the hearing of the gospel. You know, even if you see a billboard that says, Jesus is Lord, or, uh, you know, uh, believe in Jesus, uh, you know, that, that he, he's also established the office of the holy ministry uh, as a public declaration uh, of of our 
forgiveness in Christ, and that that his his beautiful intention, uh, you know, contrary to maybe what John Calvin believed, that God doesn't have, uh, is not serious uh, about about uh, when he when the gospel is preached, but that the gospel, uh, he, he, God is very deadly serious, or, or shall we say, lively serious about <laughs> reaching uh, souls for our Lord Jesus Christ, and he is, and the Holy Spirit is operative. He is, he is active in, in whenever you hear the gospel. And so any any opportunity that you have to share Jesus with others, uh, you know, is 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 to share with them the power of God for salvation. I'd like to thank my guest this morning, the Reverend David Boisclair, pastor of faith in Bethesda Lutheran Churches in Pine Lawn, Missouri. I'm also grateful to you, dear Christian, for listening to thy strong word. I've been your host, Pastor Phil Boo. Tune in Monday as we move on to chapter 11 of Romans. Until then, may God's peace and blessings be with you all as we pray. Father, keep us in thy strong word.